Welcome to the Ballistic Football Podcast, where you get real talk about real football from real unprofessionals. I'm your host and producer, until we find a better one, Matt Bird, and I'm joined by a BFP mainstay, Jake Smith. Jake, how's it going? It's good. I mean, Man City just lost the uh, yeah. Community Shield. I mean, <laughs> you not- and I can both agree <laughs> to uh, happiness behind a Man City loss. Yes. A glorified friendly, but, you know, any any misery <laughs> will take. Hey, it's silverware nonetheless, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless <laughs> so, you will be sitting there. You know, I want to just cue in our listeners to kind of what brought us together for a podcast like this. And, um, you know, I- I'm sure we're probably going to get some digs about the comment about real football. And I just want to say that just because we say real football, I'm not, I'm not bashing American football. But I think at the end of the day, you know, what Americans have come to know as soccer is what football was before American football was football. So I think to be fair to the sport, it's only appropriate that we we call it football. And uh, so all the hate that we'll get from that, that's fine. I'm, I'm good with that. It doesn't hurt my feelings. But, uh, you know, we also wanted to bring something together that brought some people that just had a general interest in the sport uh, through different paths and uh, just – talk about different things going on in the world and i would say as we were talking about this show we didn't know kind of what the scope of it should be so we've left it pretty wide so you'll probably hear a flare of uh, some european leagues american uh, u.s national team talk obviously but i wouldn't be surprised if you hear us discuss aspects of the usl um probably maybe a little bit of collegiate soccer I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting to see what direction this heads. But um, I guess to start off with myself and, and kind of my involvement, I grew up playing the sport, uh, played for a small school in college. And then, you know, from there, just kind of developed a passion. I'm probably not quite the caliber of a consumer of professional soccer as uh, Jake is. But uh, Jake, I don't know that I've really heard what got you interested in the sport? I think you've told me before that you played when you were a little bit younger, but why yeah, don't you yeah. share a little bit more about what brought you uh, to have so much interest in, in the sport in general? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I played at a super young age uh, and just had a bad experience uh, with the with the sport. Just like didn't like my teammates, didn't like the league I was playing in. So, And I think I was – that was like – first grade you know or kindergarten something like that so i I just yeah i as a little kid you just are like oh i don't like this anymore get me as far away from it and then i feel like with a lot of american football fans fifa at some point played a big role into um into their fandom so fifa 14 was like (laughs) my first fifa um and I just at random picked a team, Manchester United, um, and then have been, endured some of the worst years as a Manchester United <laughs> fan. You, you and so, me both. so yeah, uh, since FIFA, so 20, 2014, 2015 season would have been my first. So we've not won the league in that time. We've not won the Champions League. We won the Europa League one time. I think we got an FA Cup and a League Cup. So. Three trophies, uh, and, you know, the Mourinho times were, I, I, I like Mourinho, but 
during that that time at Manchester United, it just was not not a fun time to be around the club. But you know, just stuck through it all. Um, so yeah, it, it's yeah, it was yeah. really FIFA that like got <laughs> well, me into it, and then I like never looked back. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I think that was probably one of the big drivers that uh, that got me more involved. Not just in playing it, but then also, um, you know, watching games. And at the time, like, I can remember when I was playing FIFA and getting into it, there really wasn't a lot on United States TV where you could turn oh, into yeah. a European game. And so, you know, as I as I grew up and got into high school and stuff, I'd have buddies that would watch, we'd get together and watch Champions League matches. And uh, I'm, I'm a Man United fan myself, but I would say, you know, overall, I just enjoy the sport and a good competition. So I'll watch just about anything. Uh, if it means that I'm going to get to see a pretty, pretty entertaining match. Yeah. But yeah, FIFA, I think that's a, that's a huge factor for a lot of people. And it's interestingly enough, I, I got the opportunity to coach at the high school level for a couple years. And as nerdy as this may sound, I told uh, the parents during the parent meeting that one of the best ways their kids can learn the game is through FIFA. Yeah. Because you don't have that opportunity to really see things, see the field like you can in that game. And I think it really helps with overall awareness. But I think the first FIFA game that I played was probably FIFA 94 or 95. And it was on PC. Um, They had no crests in the game. All the uniforms were just like striped colors of what the club actually was mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if at that point they hadn't gotten you know the naming rights or anything like that that yeah. the fifas of today have but uh, it's i think that's an interesting point you make because i i hadn't really thought about the influence that fifa probably had on my interest in the sport in uh, general. yeah especially the american fandom like FIFA, I feel like there's a, a lot of credit should probably go to FIFA just for like exposing a lot of the children, uh, in America to the game. And like when I first was playing FIFA 14, and then I would see like all these matches are going on before playing FIFA, you have like no idea like the big important like football matches that are going on. Like, it's just a whole wide world. Like it's overwhelming actually, like when you first get into it. But um yeah, I just love the emotion of like the emotion of the game. I just feel like it's such an emotional sport compared to so many other things. Um Yeah, so, yeah. and I've I've had some good talks with people about that cuz I I'll, I'll be the first to admit, if I hadn't played the sport and I was asked to watch a game, I probably would potentially get bored. Uh, I think the fact that I I played it and watched it growing up, I think mm. gave me more of an appreciation for it. You know, it's and the thing about it is what makes it the beautiful game is all the little things that build up to one major moment in yeah. the game. And so, what I share with some of the people that that question, like, well, there's like maybe a goal, a match, or it could end in a draw. I'm like. But all the strategy behind that, you know, a point behind a draw and the fact that in that one moment in a 90 minute period can change everything, you know, imagine yeah. the build up to that moment. And when you have the opportunity to live it or even participate in it, I think it's a lot different. <laughs> yeah. But so 
I'm understanding certainly of those that are like, well, you know, I like watching basketball because they score 200 points between the two teams a game. Okay, you know, I understand that. But that's the points, if they come that often, are the moments really that special? I would argue no. (laughs) So, I. You know, maybe I'm a little weird uh, from that standpoint, but let's not eat, let's not even get into commercial breaks. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. We won't well, even go into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're exact. You're exactly right. And when you know you're going to, when you know you're going to soccer, you know, when you go into a match, you know this game is set to be 90 minutes. And yeah, that may give or take, you know, maybe yeah. 10 to 15 at most, but. You're not going to deal with a game that between timeouts and commercial breaks, the last two minutes is going to last 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. You, you know what that commitment is <laughs> from a time yeah. standpoint. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I uh, one of the other things I, I think is obviously big news recently, and I, I'm interested in your perspective on it, is this Lionel Messi situation. So. <laughs> what a, what a topic for a first episode of a podcast. Like, this is – it's a dream just to, like – I don't know, just to have – I, I love him to say at Barcelona, but just, like, to have this in the news cycle, yeah. I just feel like it sent the transfer window into a madness. Now we see – I mean, Lukaku was going to happen anyways, but it just – everything feels so much more like, oh, this is a huge deal, you know? Yeah. I, I don't and- know what it is about it. Well, and I shared some of my thoughts with you before. I was surprised he stayed after the whole debacle in the last transfer window. Mm-hmm. I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Barcelona basically, he thought he could leave on a free transfer. Am I right in thinking that last year? But something because of the way they structured the season due to COVID basically disallowed that from happening. And so he, he still requested that they let him transfer away and they basically said tough. And, Hmm. you know, I don't think, I think last season he had a pretty good season, but it definitely wasn't one of his stronger seasons. I, and you know, you go, you try to, you're going from, you had Messi, Suarez, Neymar, like he just had so many great teams. And now we're starting to see him in that Barcelona team with probably the worst teams he's played with. Like, even when he was a youngster, he had Ronaldinho, uh, he had Samuel Edo for a little bit. Just, I mean, some incredible players. There's a bunch more names. I mean, Iniesta and Xavi, like, it, it, it definitely was the worst team we saw him with. And Barcelona's just in such a rebuilding phase right now. And I think they're on the right track with, you know, De Jong, Pedri, um, Ansu Fati, like, building, these younger players who also they fit that Barcelona identity you know like I know De Jong came from Ajax but Ajax and Barcelona they share a certain tactical outlook on the game so I don't know just getting guys who fit the who fit the club because them going for Griezmann and all that I mean that's really where your problems start is you're going to bring guys in who they're not fitting the club culture you know what I mean yeah it's kind of to your point it they were kind of like desperation transfers. And you say, like, oh, yeah. well, it can't be desperation transfers because they shelled out all this money to get these guys. But at the same time, they, to your point, they don't really fit that culture that has been the reason that Barcelona has been so successful year in and year out. 
And to your point, as they've been bringing more of those guys in, it's kind of diluted that culture down. And quite honestly, I think it's made Lionel Messi pretty frustrated because, you know, he commands um, a lot of a lot of respect and rightfully so from mm-hmm. that organization. And I don't think they were really interested in hearing what he had to say, which is completely contrary to a guy that played with the likes of Iniesta and Xavi and all those guys that really made uh, Barcelona in the last decade a a really, really, really good club. And Mm -hmm. if I were him, I'd be mad. You know, why, why do you exclude me from some of these talks? Why is nobody coming to me? And when he felt that way last transfer window, it's like, well, this was kind of a long time coming. And, Instead of Barcelona really trying to to mend that relationship, it kind of felt like they just gave a middle finger and said, "Tough, deal with it." That's what your contract says. So, yeah. And now uh, at this point, it just feels like Barcelona's mad at La Liga, and so they know if Messi leaves, then La Liga's losing a lot of revenue, obviously. And mm-hmm. so Barcelona's like, "Well, heck, we'll let him go. You'll come down with us. Who cares?" Yeah. And and also talking about going back to desperation transfers, you can just look at Sergio Aguero. Now he wants out of Barcelona because oh, the guy I, he I, came to play there with, <laughs> Messi just is like, I mean, it's not Messi's fault in any way. Sure. But you come there to play with the guy. And that's also, that's another point talking about culture. You should not have a guy come want to play with someone else at Barcelona. It should always be, I want to play for Barcelona. So, and I understand that it's messy and you could say that that's an exception, but I do feel like, you know, it's start, it's starting to not be as much of, oh man, playing for Barcelona. I mean, some, a lot of guys still have that, still have that mindset, but for a guy like Aguero from Argentina, where usually Barcelona is looked as like one of the biggest clubs for him to just not to bat it aside and be like, all right, I want to leave. I, don't yeah. know, I think that's, that speaks volumes, um, especially in South America where they just – there's a lot of La Liga influence uh, just in terms of like fandom and club legacy. Yeah, yeah. And I to your point, the club – at good clubs, the club is always bigger than its biggest player. Yeah. And so I think we started to see that Messi kind of was overshadowing – the club a little bit and mm-hmm. I think the club let that happen through some of the decisions that they'd made but you always the team is always bigger than it's than any of its biggest players and it has to be otherwise that's that's the point at which you get kind of these inroads and in different clubs and you start to get you know issues between players and things like that and you know even to this Aguero situation why did he come to Barcelona wasn't to play for Barcelona, it was to play with Messi. Yeah. So you're seeing a little bit more of that. <clears throat> and I don't know, it's time will tell. I mean, right now he's looking at a PSG contract. I don't I think he's I don't think he's signed it yet, but it's been offered. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean yeah, it's all just Barcelona really threatening La Liga by saying Oh, you're losing like the best player in the world. Uh, well, and a, and a source, a significant source of revenue for that league after a league, after a year that was decimated by COVID, 
from a revenue standpoint. Oh yeah, no, La Liga is in such well, that was part of like the three point two billion dollar buy or not a buyout, but a bailout where this investment firm's gonna come in, give La Liga three point two million, two point nine is spread out across or billion, sorry. Two point nine billion is spread out across all the, the La Liga clubs. Um and then uh then that investment firm gets 10% of the the TV rights uh, wow. the revenue for the next 40 years. So I can under, definitely understand why Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, like the bigger clubs who don't need the buy, they don't need that money. Uh, like they're certainly struggling, but it's those lower clubs that are like, okay, yeah, like we're not making that. We, we could take that 10% cut to us because that's still a lot of money to us. Right. But to those bigger clubs, I mean, that's why they want to go make the Super League. I, for La Liga, if they do lose Messi, I could see them, they are really going to want Real Madrid to push for Mbappe then. And I, I don't know what the Mbappe situation is really. Uh, I, I know Real Madrid are probably, they're trying to get him now, I, I would think. Especially with Florentino Perez, I know he, he wants, he wants to get Mbappe to Real Madrid no matter what. Because I think Florentino thinks that it can just turn the whole club around and save them. I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, getting a guy like Mbappe is a marketing dream. Um, but Yeah, and yeah. well, and you brought up something interesting that we haven't really talked about yet is the, the Super League. And, you know, it's kind of, for lack of better words, started to crumble. Um, it's going to be... I, are there still a couple clubs that are interested in it? I, I yeah, even... there's a lot of there's contractual like they're contractually Obligated. bound. Gotcha. Um, to yeah, so but no one acted upon that. I really think the Premier League clubs, I think they're out. Like, I I the fan bases were just so against that that yeah, I I just well, and... can't see a way forward for Premier League clubs, but I could see a way. For Spanish and Italian clubs, because they are just maybe even some French clubs at this point with how financially drained the Liga is. Well, and the reason I bring it up is you have to think that that Super League probably damaged the reputation of these major leagues in Europe pretty significantly. Oh yeah, you no, know because you look at yeah. them and you're like, you guys can't keep your ducks in a row or even keep a pulse on things to know what's going on with some of your biggest clubs. Yeah, I mean, it's scary. <laughs> so. You know, I I just wanted to bring that up, that up because you mentioned it. It's like another layer on the issues that uh, La Liga is running into. Mm-hmm. So. I, it is very. It, it just leaves so many questions when you can just see a league be so so abused by the clubs within it. Yeah, and then just really a slap on the wrist, like really just not that much punishment coming down. Uh, I, I don't know. Well, it's... we talk about it a lot too. The difference in league structures between the United States and the and the rest of of the world basically mm-hmm. is it's much more of a what I would call a capitalistic type model in Europe than it is in the United States, which is is very yeah, ironic, very flip flop. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very flip flop. The fact of the matter is, in those those European um, nations and those those leagues, you're in essence getting into kind of that too big to fail you know, area mm-hmm. of this club is so big within this league that it makes up the league. So yeah. we talk about, you know, players becoming bigger than clubs and clubs becoming bigger than leagues. And you can 
you've started to see where it's added this instability amongst those leagues. Whereas in the United States, and I am, I'm not saying I'm a fan of the United States sport league system. Yeah, I'm a big fan of promotion relegation. I think it provides the opportunity for a lot of different clubs to, to at least get a shot at participating in some of the best leagues in the world. Uh, Leicester is a good example of that, but at the end of the day, and if you're in the United States, you buy a franchise, you're protected. Um, yeah. You know, you're not going to run into these situations because everything runs through the league. And so I <laughs> – and I, what the funny thing is, is this whole Super League saga kind of reminds me of those big clubs in Europe wanting to establish something that the United States has – but that's probably not surprising given that a lot of the clubs that were looking to do this had a material amount of American ownership in them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, you can definitely, a lot of the stuff we've seen in Europe with this stuff, it brings, it makes you realize, oh, in American sports, this is why we have this. This is why we have, like, this is why we have salary cap. So a team just can't buy the league and just dominate for so long cuz financial fair play is a joke like it's not yeah. it's not and that's a lot of the reason why these clubs have the they can do this is they can financially dominate and there's no 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 punishments for it uh and over a long period of time with this domination people are just like i don't know it just it, that is how the club seems bigger than the league bayern munich seems bigger than the bundesliga yeah. you know like when you think of Bayern, oh, what are Bayern? You know, how are Bayern looking this year? Can they challenge for the UCL? You don't think can they? Are they going to win the league? Because that's already it's already a preconceived notion. Yeah, it's a and, yeah. And when American sports fans we complain about when the Golden State Warriors they went on their run, like man, imagine being a, a German fan in the Bundesliga. And you just are getting dominated year after year. And it just feels like there's no help from the league. The league just watch this and be like, oh, okay, another year gone by. Let's uh, distribute the money out and let's go again. Like, yeah. there's just no changes after there's a clear, there's a clear problem. Um, but yeah, that's also part of, part of European football is, you know, you can be happy with getting fourth place in the Premier League because you get to go play Champions League. You know, there's a lot of personal wins outside of just winning the league. So th- that that's what creates all these storylines. So yeah. pros and cons, which we're definitely seeing a lot more than any other time, is just the pros and cons of American sports style versus the European sports style. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of discussion <laughs> to be had about that and i'll be interested to see uh who what curb has to say about some of that uh curb's going to be another uh, one of our mainstays here on the ballistic football podcast so we'll have him on a on a future episode and maybe talk to him a little bit about his perspective uh, curb's extremely knowledgeable uh Personally, I don't know how Curb and Jake keep up with all the information. Twitter. They, <laughs> they do Twitter. keep me in the loop. We may be looped into a couple different discords together where they keep me updated, and that's uh, 
instead of following a bunch of different Twitter accounts, I can just go to that uh, text channel and that Discord and get yeah. all the all the news that I need with good commentary from both of them. It's a filter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that way I get the good stuff. The other stuff that I don't care about. You know, who cares? You don't want to see MLS attendance numbers? <laughs> like, <laughs> that, I mean, I did I post actually, those. Actually, it was pretty interesting. Found, I did, yeah, I did kind of find that interesting. Because, um, you know, I I grew up in Indiana. We don't have an MLS team. Uh, but our next-door neighbors at the time, Columbus, had it. You know, they were the first MLS franchise. And then here more recently, Cincinnati has had their own franchise and I was mentioning you Jake that I'm really surprised at the attendance levels at these at those two games because I think you know and someone from Ohio is going to get mad and tell me you you went to school there how do you not know this but I think Columbus and Cincinnati are like an hour and a half from each other so there's that yeah I I watched a little like documentary on the rivalry the hell is real Uh, yeah the hell is real yeah (laughs) Yeah. no that's a it's a great name like especially because that sign have you seen that sign I have absolutely seen that sign oh wow yeah, I mean, so, I wonder who owns. I mean, they're getting a lot of publicity right now. <laughs> for, uh, absolutely, there's which, some church or something. I don't even think that the billboard has a name of like. No, it the just says "Hell is Real." That's all it says. It's just like a legend. I mean, like, I don't know. Credit to whoever put that billboard up. Right. Because <laughs> uh, I mean, "Hell is Real," Darby sounds wow. I mean, that sounds pretty electric. Yeah, and you'll probably you know one of the things I want to mention to the folks that are listening is. You'll probably get a little bit more of the Midwest flair for MLS and, and USL in what you hear from us because the three of us are, are Midwesterners. So, yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean we're we're not in tune with some of the other areas of, of MLS and, and USL. For sure. I am curious, though, who – I think I know the answer to this, but, Jake, who's your MLS club that you say you would so, follow most yeah. closely? I'm in, so I'm actually going to, I'm going to the game tomorrow. I live in Chicago. I have my whole life. Chicago Fire fan. It's so rough out here. <laughs> it is, yeah. it's a very rough, uh, I mean, we just bought that, we bought that 21 year old Argentinian guy for $5 million. Uh, I mean, so things, things are kind of looking up, especially with that. We had a 17 year old goalkeeper start, Gabriel Slonina. Uh, the youngest goalkeeper in MLS, he got a shut, he got a clean sheet. So, I mean, there's positive signs ahead, but I think this, this season is a scrap. We're, I don't, we're not making the playoffs. Um, I don't uh, know managerial wise what's going to happen. Well, at least you're not as bad as Inter Miami. Am I right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> but at least, okay. At least it hasn't been prolonged misery yet. But yeah. like we, it has for Inter Miami. They saw the Venus <sighs> factor and the and the Beckham ownership. Yeah, factor. yeah, and and also they saw the messy hope that you yeah, know, like right, if, right. you can always look to twenty twenty three or twenty because I know the the contract that PSG are offering Messi gives him a, a two years and then a player option. Okay, um, for an additional year, right? Yeah, the player option for an additional year. I it all well it all, it would all depend if he can still compete. I he could boss league until he's thirty eight. I mean, I, unless it improves drastically, I think Messi could play in league until he was thirty eight and still like get ten ten plus assists a season in the league. But uh, yeah, if you're an Inter Miami fan, you're holding out till then. If it doesn't <laughs> come and you're still terrible, 
Yeah. Man, that is. Well, at yeah, least you no, got a shiny new t- stadium. T- you know. Yeah, the stadium looks nice. good. They got Ray Hudson on commentary. Shout out Ray Hudson. Follows me on Twitter. Shout out Ray Hudson. But they've got him on commentary. Um, and they got a great fan. They have a good fan base. You know, uh, David yeah. Beckham, like he got the assurance from the supporters that they were gonna show up to games, and they're holding their end of the bargain, even though Mr. Beckham is uh, not holding up his end. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, they're they're in conversation for worst expansion teams ever, like across all sports. It, wow. it has been such a. It's been so bad, I, and it's it's hilarious though. It's. It's not, and there's no relegation, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, that's... like it just doesn't. Yeah, there's no, there's not real pressure. The only real pressure is on Phil Neville, at at the managerial spot. You know, he's they've been scrapping some points though recently. They got they picked up a draw against Philadelphia. I think they picked up a two one win against DC United. Maybe they picked up a two one win against someone, but yeah, I mean things are kind of starting to uptrend for Inter Miami. I don't. I was trying to think. I don't know that I really have a an MLS team that I follow. You know, I told you I grew up kind of close to Columbus. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to the MLS franchises, and Chicago would have been right up the road. But went to a couple crew games growing up. Um, I kind of. I live in the Dakotas now, so I'm kind of we. There's not a huge professional soccer presence in. Uh, yeah. In Do the they even? Is there a USL team in? No. No. Dude, I feel like if you could get one and unite the North and South Dakota to one team, if you well, put it on the border or something, well, I, I don't think, know, honest, man. Honestly, I, like... I think I kind of think Fargo is probably a good candidate for a USL team because they're right on the border with with Minnesota, and Minnesota Dude, has a pretty yeah. strong soccer culture and a really good MLS club. So, you know, I think that'd be pretty cool. I'd probably travel the four hours I'd have to travel to go see him. Yeah, but, you know, I think. That would be kind of cool. Um, I think Curbs in a similar situation, just not a lot we can go see in person. I will say though, yeah. I'm a pretty at the USL level. I'm a pretty big Louisville City fan, and yes, it's Louisville, not Louisville. Um, <laughs> probably catch some flack for that one too. So if you want to look like a resident when you're in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, call it Louisville. Otherwise, it's a it's a clear uh, indicator that you're not from around there. But, uh, you know, I was able to be in Louisville and see them play in both of their uh, USL championships, which is a really cool experience. Yeah. And, and then uh, seeing seeing some of those guys, you know, work really hard. Mark Anthony Kay, um, Kyle Smith, who plays for Orlando SC now. Kyle, actually, uh, I didn't know it till I did some research on him when I was watching him. I think I actually played against him when I was in college because he played for a small uh, Division three school. But to see a guy like that end up going pro, and he's a starter now at Orlando, I mean, that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. So it's, yeah. it's neat to see guys kind of develop at the USL level and then see them you know, either compete in MLS or end up going over to Europe and playing for clubs over there. Are you getting high fees or the Jonathan Gomez situation? <laughs> yeah, we talked. We talked oh. about that. That is, uh, I don't know what what on earth happened in that situation. The, um, it was a bad release clause, and I, I yeah, it just is such it, it's such incredible mismanagement. Like it, oh. it didn't even seem real what I was reading when I was seeing Real Sociedad could get him for a hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's worth. I that's always tough because USL you don't really know 
yeah, how Europeans view that level. Like, right. I would think two mil, maybe more. Yeah, I mean, you, to your point, you put up stats in the USL, and you know you're definitely going to draw interest. But I think in any situation, does that convert over to mm-hmm. to the team that you have? And and that's where I think a lot of these clubs, if you have a really good scouting staff, they know how those players can fit into the into the mold. And to be quite honest, I mean, Kyle Kyle Smith, he was a he, a stellar defender at the USL level. But I always kind of wondered, okay, you know, is is he going to be MLS caliber? Well, Orlando looked at him, saw a good fit, and now the guy's starting for him. So, yeah, you know, I think that's a case where is the guy a good fit? And it's tough to tell. I mean, I think I think Jonathan Gomez is seventeen, yeah, um, and so he's got a lot of a lot of experience to gain. He's a solid player. Really enjoy watching him, but you know, it's really early on and to make a commitment right now uh, to someone that's still kind of in that developing phase is uh, it's tough to gauge, but yeah, to your point, I don't know, you know, I, I shared this with you before, but if you know anything about Louisville city, James O'Connor was the coach that led them to uh, their first national USL championship. And then he actually picked up the managerial job at Orlando. And there were some ties between Orlando and, and Louisville city. He actually left towards the tail end of the following season after their first USL championship. And the team was coached by three of the players. Oh, what? For, yeah, <laughs> for a good chunk of the season. And then towards the tail end, uh, that's when they picked up John Hackworth. How was and, their how was their record though under the players? Uh it was it was pretty good. Um surprisingly. I think I think James O'Connor kind of established a system that worked really well. I, if I remember right, that season they they started off pretty rough, but things came together towards the tail end and they yeah. really kind of hit their stride, which is all you really need to do, you know, in that type of league with the with the postseason. So but they they hired John Hackworth. Um, I think he they ended up winning another USL championship. He coached them uh, last season. I think they made it to the final. And then, like, I don't know, it was like three games into this season, they just make this abrupt announcement that he's he's been let go. And yeah. there's no detail as to why. Um, and then, to your point, it comes out that, you know, there's something in – Jonathan Gomez's contract that says if the manager that he was basically came in under was no longer with the club, then his release clause is like a hundred thousand dollars. I just like, don't. How does that uh, make any sense? <laughs> and, and especially like how in management are you allowing? When did Jonathan Gomez get to the club? Or what? This contract would have been signed when he was sixteen, maybe. I think so. Yeah. So how do you? The only way I could see that is some like veteran comes in to work for a manager and then can go. Like you would not have a youth prospect. You just wouldn't let a youth prospect make that kind of demand. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, I, that's you wonder, just like, insane. He's, he's had to have been potentially coached by somebody, you know, to, and I say coach, I mean, counseled by somebody to, to set that oh, up. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I just can't believe they fell for that. Or whatever, but, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just this bizarre, and all the club said was like, "Oh, well, we're going to take care of these issues, so they don't happen again." Well, I can tell you right now, they're not going to fire anybody because guess who they're 
you know, general manager equivalent is, or vice president of operations, whatever you want to call it, John Hackworth, who won the first national <laughs> So there's no way they're letting him go. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know who ends up being the scapegoat in that situation, but it'll uh, remain to be seen. I'm enjoying watching him while he's still there. Uh, I I think it'd be great if he got picked up by uh, a La Liga club or or somewhere over in Europe. I think it'd be great for his, his development. Oh, yeah. As long as he ends up playing for the U.S. <laughs> yeah, that's, we're starting to see a lot of dual national switches. Yeah, a lot of battles. All right. Well, uh, this concludes our pilot episode of the Ballistic Football Podcast. Jake, I want to thank you for your uh, your time today, and uh, looking forward to having Curb on in the next episode. Uh, starting out these these episodes will probably be kind of sporadic, uh, but again. You're getting uh, real talk about real football from real unprofessionals. This is Matt Bird. It's been a pleasure hosting.